I'll tell you why. Because Easter is actually found in the Bible where they celebrated Passover, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The reason why I tease is because, you know, Christmas is a big holiday. Everybody gets pumped about it, but it's not necessarily found in the Bible. I mean, you find the birth of Jesus, but you don't find this remembrance of his birth everywhere you go in the Bible. But where do you find them remembering every time they're preaching? They're remembering the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so what I would like to do today is just kind of remind us of that story. Once again, we're thankful that you're here. We're happy you came with your family. We're a church that really tries to encounter God. Every time we meet, we have life groups, all those wonderful things you heard about, and we pray that you find a place to join us throughout the week. And don't just be a creaster. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be a creaster. Okay, that means you come back. Don't just come on Christmas and Easter. You come back to the church because the church is going to be here next week. And guess what? It's always going to love you and talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Let's go to our first passage up here as we talk about the death of Jesus. And it's just going to be on the slides. And, brother, yeah, you can just click it today. Uh, we're in a series on Matthew. You guys can come back next week or catch up online. Uh, the death of Jesus is one of the most known facts of history. So open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. If you ever talk to somebody that questions whether or not Jesus existed, maybe you're watching a history show or you see something like Zeitgeist or a YouTube video, you are not talking to or listening to a real historian. All real historians believe Jesus existed. Whether they're Christian, Jewish, it doesn't matter what religion they are, no religion. Jesus wasn't historian historical person. We actually have more information about Jesus's existence than we do about emperors of Rome. Just think about that for a second. Then emperors of Rome. Why was that? Because maybe in Rome you would have one or two historians and they would write the history book and then maybe a couple of news articles because they would have news around at that time would be written. But the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus was so important, they kept writing it and copying it and writing it and copying it. And so you have the attestation, the defense of our manuscripts in more number than any other book of history. Everybody go, ooh. That's pretty cool if you think about it. Our Bible has more manuscripts of its time in history than any other part of ancient history ever. But Jesus is not just a historical figure. How many believe Jesus is the Son of God? Okay, so if you believe that, there has to be a reason why he came to earth, why he died, why he rose. Well, the Bible sets the stage in the prophets. And if that is new to you, you need to go back to the section of your Bible known as the prophets. How many of you have heard of Jonah? Where did Jonah go to preach? Uh, or where did God tell Jonah to go and he didn't want to go? Where, did he, where was he told to go? Nineveh. And when he didn't go, what happened? He got swallowed by a, a big fish or a whale. Very, they're very good, whoever said big fish. Thank you. Was that you, Cynthia? That was you, Cynthia Jr. That's awesome. That was, that's, that's really, you know, specific. That's awesome. Prophet. I just talk about Jonah as a prophet, and you, you remember that. You know that Jonah is actually an example of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection? Did you know that? Jesus used Jonah as his example. He said, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale, what? Three days and what? Three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. So the prophets give us a setting for Jesus, and they help us explain what's happening. And the way I like to look at it is like this. The Old Testament is Jesus concealed. It's like a mystery. 
And you've got to look for it. In the New Testament, it's Jesus revealed. So let's look to Colossians chapter 2.13. After the fact, obviously, of, of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection in history, Paul is writing. But look at how he summarizes why Jesus was crucified. Remember, this is Paul, a man who was once a Jew who did not even believe that Jesus was the Messiah, let alone the Son of God who died on the cross and rose again. What made Paul become a Christian? Why did Paul become a Christ follower? Because on his way to persecute Christians, he had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. They didn't think Jesus was just a ghost. They were seeing Jesus physically resurrected. And the difference matters. Any ghost in a worldview can exist and it not do much to how you see your worldview. If you already believe in spirits and you see a spirit, what's the big deal? These people believed in spirits and if they saw a spirit of Jesus, what's the big deal? That's not what they were saying. They weren't seeing the spirit of Jesus. Like somebody said, I saw my grandma last night or my cousin or somebody that passed and they came into my room and scared me. By the way, next time you see grandma come or next time you see somebody like that come, just say, leave in Jesus' name and you'll watch how, you'll watch how quick those, those spirits leave because they're actually not your grandma, they're not your aunt, they're demonic spirits taking their form. But going back to the point, Paul says, I saw Jesus resurrected and it convinced him that Jesus had in fact died for the sins of the, the world, mankind, was buried and rose again. And now look at, as an apostle, what he writes about that. Colossians 2, verse 13, Paul looking back to the, to the cross. He says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the what? The cross, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the what? By the cross. So on the cross, Jesus was nailed. We've seen that picture before. But what does Paul say was the reason Jesus was nailed to the cross? What was really being nailed to Jesus as he was being nailed to the cross? It says here that as he was nailed to the cross, he took our legal indebtedness. He took our legal debts. On the cross, Jesus took our sins. Remember those times you've told lies and you knew they were wrong, but you told them anyway? What happened to the time you said you were sorry? What, what happened that time you said you were sorry? Where, where did that sin go? You remember that time you took something that didn't belong to you and you, you knew you were wrong for doing that and then you told God, I'm sorry? What happened to that action? I mean, it's not like you could go into the past and go grab it and then go tear it up. What happened that time you lust, uh, had lust in your heart and lusted, and then you asked God for forgiveness? What happened to that? You know, sometimes people say to me, especially from other religions, they say, God is so mean in your book, in your Bible. God the Father has to kill his son so his own creation gets forgiveness. That would be like a father in your congregation, beating his own child so someone else over here can get out of jail. 
What's the point of that? If your God is so big, if your God is so loving, why doesn't he just not beat his son, just go over to the jail and release the prisoner? Why does he have to beat his son on behalf of you? Why does he have to kill him, in other words? What an abusive God you serve. Our God gives us a better way of salvation. Okay, what do you say it is then? The Muslim, the Hindu, whatever. Or our God forgives as we do more good works. As I do more, I get forgiven more. So I do a bad thing, tell a lie. Now I have to pray five times towards Mecca. Then my sin is forgiven. And on judgment day, God just simply looks at me and he sees scales. On one side is all my bad. On one side it's all my good. Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, all exactly the same. They all believe it. Buddhism, Hinduism calls it karma. More bad than good is going to be weighed out. In Islam, it's the scales of justice. And they all believe, these religions, that on that day, if you've just done a little bit more good than you did bad, then he looks to you, God, and says, you're good. Come on into paradise. Get reincarnated. Upgrade. You did good. You don't come back as, a, as an animal. You come back as somebody rich. Is that what the Bible says? It's quite the opposite. And that's why when I talk to other religions, I go, hold on, hold on. You think I got a bad God. He's a mean God. He beats his child so I can be forgiven. He's a mean God. Okay, let me ask you a question then. In your religion, where does my sin go? You've talked about how God can arbitrarily forgive me because I asked. And then you've said I can earn my forgiveness by now showing to do more good. But you've never answered the metaphor physical question of where does all that evil go? Where does it go? We see it in people's hearts. It can reside in places. We see it all the time in our world. Where does it actually go? And then somebody might be real smart and go, well, it goes to hell. It goes to hell. Well, how does it get out of your good people and go to hell? Well, it's because they do more good. But I thought they were bad people trying to do more good because they already made that mistake. So how do they get good enough to make bad get out of their heart? See, I think we get to a point real quick where it's not bad God, somewhat good people. It actually comes down to Awesome, good God, really bad people. And God is now sending his son to take our place. And when you read the stories of the Bible, it doesn't take long that we realize sin equals death. And sacrifice becomes a key part of the stories of our Bible. And it starts to teach us, when you sin, Abraham, this animal dies. And when it is dying, I want you, Abraham, to watch the blood come out. And I want you to think of that blood as the payment for what you would deserve if I came and punished you right now. Because your sin deserves your blood to be poured out. And so people are commanded to do animal sacrifices. But then Jesus comes and he says, God hasn't wanted really animal sacrifices. That was a shadow. What my father wanted was for me to take it all along. And when John the Baptist sees Jesus coming, 
He doesn't say, here's a great teacher. Everybody should follow him. He's got the great knowledge of the world. No, when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says, Lamb of God, Lamb of God, he who takes away the sins of the world. He saw Jesus as the embodiment of the Son of God in the flesh. Because remember, he had existed before he came to earth, Father, Son, and Spirit. Our God is three persons in one. He saw in his cousin Jesus the embodiment of the Son of God who will now spill his blood for our sins. So where does the evil go? It went on our precious Jesus. Where was it canceled? By the blood of the Son of God. That's why evil men and women can become good, not because God arbitrarily forgives or just says, hey, do more good works. We become good because our good God paid the penalty that we owed. And to answer the, that objection just one more time, People might say, well, why didn't Jesus just pay the debt? Why didn't Jesus go to the Father and pay the debt and say, mankind no longer owes you for their sins? Why did he have to die? Because the justice of God required that our debts be paid in blood. So Jesus did come to pay our debts. Well, if God loved us, he would never let evil in the world. He let us do it because of free will. Well, then why would he let us do it? Because he would pay the debt of our bad choices. Who suffered the most because of the evil of this world? Us? No. The Son of God. The Son of God not only experienced the legal indebtedness of my sin, of your sin, but he took it for Hitler's sin. He took it for the rapist's sin. He took every indebtedness, everything we have done in our wicked will that God has given us, he took it upon himself. And so the Bible says what was nailed to the cross while we saw the body of Jesus was there and was nailed our indebtedness. And then look what happened, the Bible says. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having publicly disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. In our story, we were just talking about other religions and how they look at everything. Where does the devil fit into all of that? Have you ever talked to people with different worldviews about the devil? Oftentimes people will say, I believe in God, but not so much the devil. My friends, because I believe in God, I believe in the devil. I know my good God is not responsible for these things here. There is a literal thief, a fallen angel who has taken a third of the angels with him that is tempting fallen mankind in their wills to sin against a holy God. And these evil spirits empower these people to live in deception and in violence and in all of these despicable sins. Some of them, when you hear of them, you know they could only come from the mind of a demon. How could a human being kill themselves while they see children in, uh, kill children in the womb, kill people that are in their own image? How could a mother kill her own child that had to be birthed in a devil's mind? That he whispers. He whispers into their heart. It's your body. You can kill it. You should be able to kill it even up to the point of birth. 
And even if the child were to be born accidentally, you should still have the choice to kill it after the child's been born if you don't want it. Who do you think whispers those thoughts in people's mind? Who do you think whispers the thoughts of, maybe you weren't born a boy. Maybe you weren't born a girl. Maybe you're stuck in the wrong body. Maybe you should change your body. Who do you think whispers these things into people's minds? Maybe you should join this gang. And maybe you should take up arms and kill your neighbor because they wear the wrong color of bandana. Who puts it in people's minds? You can rip off these people in your business. You can take their money. You can take their pensions. You won't get caught. The Bible says there is a thief, and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's been here from the beginning. He's a liar. And ever since we made partnership with him in the garden, he has been our slave master. And because we now are in sin, we're in his dominion, we actually think he's a good master. Well, it's not that the bar is that bad. I actually have some fun there. Every now and then something bad happens, but I'm okay doing this. Or, or you know what? It's not that homosexuality is really that bad. I find my peace here. Oh, you know what? Greed is good. Let's make a movie about that. Wall Street, greed is good. Let's convince the people we don't need God. We came from monkeys. We're so smart. And the devil convinces us through the wisdom of this age, the wisdom twisted with God's wisdom, a partial truth with much lie, to keep us deceived. I don't know if you ever watched that movie with Jim Carrey where he was living in a make-believe world and they had a reality TV show set. What was the name of that movie? The Truman Show, thank you. And he just thought everybody was real. The, post, uh, the postman was real. Uh, you know, the people he saw as his neighbors were real. But this was a trick that was played on him from a small child. Producers thought, what would it be like if we started a reality show with a child that never knew they were on it? And we put cameras all over the place, and we made him think that he was living in a real world, but the whole time these were paid actors. Might be a good movie to watch sometime, right? It's not too bad. I can recommend it as a pastor. I think it's PG or PG-13. But isn't that just like the devil? He sets up this world for us to convince us that living in his kingdom, living under his power, it actually kind of works. And you watch the Truman Show, he has a job. He's making money. But it's not a real job. It's a make-believe job. He has friends, and it kind of looks like the friends are friends. They do what friends do. They hang out. They go out for ice cream. But it's not real friendship. These people, even including his girlfriend, are paid actors brought in and out the script to make the show more enjoyable for all the TV viewers. I wonder how many fake friends you have. <laughs> I just wonder how many fake friends I have. Oh, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder how many people are assigned to me by the enemy to make me think they're my friend. Just to keep me living in that show. Keep playing that same old role. 
I wonder how many things we think we're accomplishing for real good purposes, but God is saying, it's just make-believe. I know a lot of stuff we do in life matters, and it's good to be a good parent. It's good to to work hard and all of that. But if this is really only an 80-year life, and heaven and hell are for eternity, isn't everything here really just insignificant compared to what's coming ahead? So if we were, let's think about this, to live for eternity and we traded what we had now, we uh, trade eternity for what we have now, wouldn't we be deceived? And so God on the cross, he breaks the power of the enemy. At a point in the movie, he actually finds out that the sunset was even make-believe. It was a part of a movie stage. He begins to knock it down to see the real sun, to see the real world. And yes, it's not always easy for him moving forward in life, but at least now he has a purpose that's genuine and not make-believe. On the cross, Jesus shattered the lies of the devil and enabled us now to see really where that cockroach's been hiding. We now can have discernment to start living out our life in wisdom free from the devil's control. And yes, we still may make mistakes and we can't blame it all on the devil. But now we are free and free indeed. And the Bible says, he who knows the truth uh, shall be set free. And the truth, whoever has, is my disciple shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Can I ask you a question today? Are you forgiven of your sins? And are you free from the deception of the enemy? Because I want to invite you to the real world with Jesus Christ, where you live free from the devil's power, and you live free from the past of your sins. Amen? Let's go to the next one, Jesus' burial. Something amazing happened there. It wasn't just a coincidence that he was buried for a certain amount of time. Let's go to Romans chapter 6. A little bit longer of a passage, but you guys came to church on Easter. You got dressed up. You're here for the word. Amen? You can handle it. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead... Through the glory of the Father, we may too live a new life. Somebody say, we were buried with him. Thank you. Verse 5. For if we have been united with him in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was what? Thank you. Our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from what? Sin. So what does the burial of Jesus show us as Christians? Isn't Paul a great theologian, by the way? Isn't it great to read Paul like through the cross? Like, man, we see Jesus nailed there, but really our sins are nailed there as well. We see Jesus buried there, but it's really us being buried there as well, our old man. I love the Bible, and it comes to life anytime we read it, but especially during Easter because it's the center of our message. And so I would almost say, see if you can read the Bible this upcoming summer, cross-eyed. Try to find the message of the cross all throughout the Bible. It's a very exciting thing to do. When Jesus was buried, 
Sometimes people say, well, how could God die, dude? Like if God is God, he can't die. How do you bury God? Well, the first thing that we say is that God is three persons. Because they'll say, like, who was in heaven while Jesus was in the grave or when he was dead? We're like the Father because Jesus is not the Father and the Holy Spirit was there. But then they're like, well, if Jesus is still God, like the Father, how could you kill God? God can't die. And then we say to them, when you die, do you stop existing? Your spirit lives on, doesn't it? The Bible says to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. So when we say Jesus died and was buried, are we saying that Jesus ceased to exist? No, we're just saying his spirit was no longer in that body. That body had to die for our sins. And so while Jesus' body is in the grave, what is his spirit doing? (laughs) This is awesome. This is where it gets exciting. Well, one of the things he does is he pimp slaps the devil and says, you don't win, I do, because I'm going to come up from this thing, and when I do, humanity will be forever saved. He does that. Another thing he does is he goes to this place called paradise. It's not quite heaven. It's the place that the thief on the cross was going to go to be with him. It was the place also known as Abraham's bosom. It was a temporary resort until you got to the real place, heaven, okay? And what it was meant for was to keep people waiting until Jesus would come and lead them out of that place into the presence of God. And the question may come, why couldn't they just die in the Old Testament before Jesus and instantly go to the throne of God where the angels are and everything is happening? Because Jesus hadn't died yet for their sins. They had not had spiritual rebirth. They had only been saved by the future promise that Jesus made to them, but they had to wait for the promise to be enacted. And so the Bible says while he's in the grave, he leads them victorious out of paradise into heaven with his father as he presents himself as the sacrifice for their sins. And so you can only imagine what it would have been like for Abraham to enter the presence of God after being in paradise all of that time. It shows us that heaven is not about streets of gold and all of those things because probably paradise had that, just a better upgrade of earth in some ways. It shows us that what makes heaven heaven is really God and being directly in his presence. Isn't that beautiful? We're not going to heaven just for loved ones. We could have had that in paradise. We're not going to heaven just to have a nice, perfect world to live in. That was kind of like the Garden of Eden. That's kind of like what paradise is for our spirits. We're going to heaven to literally be around the throne of God. But the Bible says it's more than that for us now Because that's already been done. That had happened by the time Paul's writing this, remember. What it means for us is that if Jesus in the grave had victory, we have victory when we die to our sins. We can look at our old life as a funeral and a dead way of living. That way we used to live is now over. You are to consider who you were before Christ as a walking dead person. And now you have fully let that person die. You have had the funeral. You have poured out your drinks. You have said your your goodbyes. You, You have had all that because now you're living a new life. Look at it again. 
What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Do you know as a pastor, I hear people tell me all the time, Pastor, what's wrong with sinning now as a Christian? We've all been forgiven. I mean, isn't that how it works? Pastor, Jesus died for my sins. He's not dying again. So that means all my sins, past, present, and future, they're already covered. So he knows whatever sins I'm going to sin anyway. He's already paid for them. I basically now have an unlimited credit card. I can't go into debt. Man, I'm going to sin as much as I can. Now, of course, they don't say it that boldly to a pastor. They'll say it something like this. They'll say, well, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. You know, I try. God understands. No, no, really, pastor, really. I married the wrong person. I married the wrong person, pastor. You know, pastor, pastor, it's, it's just pornography. At least I'm still faithful to my wife. God forgives. Pastor, it's, it's not really gossip. I'm just, I'm just talking about my side. I'm just telling my side, pastor. I can tell my side. I mean, are you going to control the church or are you going to control me, family member? I'm just telling my side to everybody that wasn't involved, to people that have nothing to do with it. Why do they need a side to begin with? Oh, pastor, pastor, this person deserves my unforgiveness. They deserve me being mad. They hurt me. That gets a little bit closer to home, doesn't it? But Jesus also taught us to forgive. So even no matter how much people have hurt us, if we don't forgive, it's sin. And so we somehow get this in our mind that I'm able to carry around my old person. And so if you've ever watched the movie, a lot of movie references today, I, I guess. Have you ever watched the movie where uh, they go to vacation and then the guy dies and then that's the guy now they have to carry around with him everywhere they go? Vacation at Bernie's. It's an old movie because I'm old now and I have gray hair. Mr. Swartz, I'm catching up with you. I'm not a spring chicken anymore. Mr. Swartz still gets the award for being the oldest member of Metro Praise. Let's give it up for Mr. Swartz. <laughs> I know I don't like picking on you, but I got to make sure I'm not the oldest one here, though. Carlos is in the back in a close second. Carlos, let's give it for uh, Brother Carlos. going to call him Pastor Carlos. Amen. He's a pastor at heart. Amen. So weekend at Bernie's, I can't even hardly remember it, but the idea is they're going to hang out with this guy. He dies. They'll get in trouble if everybody knows he dies, So what, uh, that he died. So what they do is they carry him around everywhere. Here's Bernie, but he's dead. And so the theme of the movie is they have to convince people he's alive. They've got to put a hat on him, go golfing, keep him in the golf cart. He falls out. You can see the comedy elements there, you know. They have to bring him to a party, have him hold a drink, you know. You know, people are trying to have conversations with him. It goes on and on and on. And I just want to ask you today a question. How many of us are carrying around our dead old self? How many of us are carrying around Joe of 1995? How many of us are carrying around Desi of 2002? How many of us are carrying around Carlos of 1978 at the discotheque, man? You know, come on, <laughs> discotheca, yeah. How many of us are carrying around, come on, that person? And we're trying to convince everybody, you know, I, I, I know I'm not supposed to be this person, but it's okay if I have this person. And this person may stink every now and then. And this person may, be, may not be responsive to do good things, but I still want to have you meet this person. You know, we make excuses, don't we, to carry around this dead 
person called our old self. But the burial of Christ teaches us that dead person stays dead. He said in this passage that when we look to the resurrection, because we know he doesn't stay in the grave, we're supposed to see as Jesus came alive now as a glorified man that now he's not going to hide himself anymore. He's going to show us that he's God in man so he'll be not just a mere man. As he comes up glorified, we're supposed to now see that as us coming up sanctified, that we now come up out of the baptismal tent come up out of our confession of sin experience that we come up a new person. Now you may say, Pastor, do new people sometimes sin? Yes, but you don't carry Bernie around everywhere you go. There's a difference. There's a difference between a Christian sinning and a Christian sinning. Like we're sinning now. Like I have sinned since being a Christian. I'm not sinless, but I sin less. Because I'm not carrying Bernie around everywhere. My wife don't like Joe of 1995. She'll remind me when Joe of 1995 comes out. And I have to repent. But there's really not two me's in Christianity. The Bible says there's really only one me. And that this dead person I'm carrying around is a shadow of what I once was. And And it's really, in a sense, a disgrace to the cross because we're not showing the world the new us. And don't underestimate the power of a new person, an example of a new person. Your testimony, your daily life means more to people than what I do up here an hour a week. How you live out your marriage before people on your job means more than what I even do up here. You are a walking, living testimony of the death, burial, and as we get to the resurrection of Jesus. Would you let your light shine, saints? Let your life shine in the new life that God has given you. Amen? Because he didn't stay dead for long. On the third day, he got out the grave. Hallelujah. And there's a new life for all of us today. And so in, our, in the death of Christ, our sins were nailed to the cross and the devil was defeated. In the burial of Christ, our old man was buried and in the powers of Satan were thwarted forever. And in the resurrection, there is a new life to live, a new you. And not only is that spiritual, like I'm new and I'm spiritual, but we also get to rise again too. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead Physically, we would only be able to go to heaven as disembodied spirits, but never be able to come back to an earthly realm in bodies again. And remember, that's how we were created. We were created to live in an earthly realm. We weren't created like angels to remain in heaven. So if God wanted to fix everything Adam broke, what's the last part of the plan? The last part of the plan is we get our bodies back. We get the garden back. And instead of there being a a sneaky snake hanging around, he's under our feet and crushed now. Amen. So there's a new world coming. There's a new age coming. There's a kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven. And God wants you to get your earth suit. Your spirit is suitable for heaven, but that body that died, it went to dust because it needed to die. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The moment you sinned one time in your body, your body now had the curse put upon it that it must die. But God is so good that he raised Jesus from the dead 
physically so that now we can look forward to a physical resurrection. Let's look to Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. If you're enjoying Easter service, can I hear an amen today? Amen. amen. It's kind of like the church's Super Bowl. Amen. We're happy you guys came here today. But, uh, you know, like any good Super Bowl, there's after parties and things to do. So make sure you join life groups and hang out with church people throughout the week. Don't be a stranger. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 says, Paul talking again. Just stuck with him through, for this message. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost everything. How many of you have given up everything to follow Jesus? And whatever he gives back is his blessings. Amen? He said, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. How many know you're saved by faith in Jesus, not by your good works? Amen. And if you're a family or friend that's here and doesn't know that message, you're hearing it today. All you need to do to be saved is put your faith in the work of Jesus Christ. He will change you, and then you'll be able to do the good works of the Bible. Now the Bible then goes on in verse 10. Look at what Paul says. I know it's a little bit smaller, but can you see it? Verse 10. I want to know Christ. How many want to know Christ? Amen. Amen. I want to know Christ. Yes. To participate in the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. How many want to be raised from the dead? Amen. Isn't that going to be exciting? Or are you just going to say, no, let me stay here a little bit longer in the grave? No, you're going to say, let me come out. Amen. You'll be in heaven and your body will come out. Not that I have already attained all of this or already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Let's read this part together, starting with forgetting. One, two, three. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Keep going. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The resurrection of the dead is the full circle plan of God. And this is why in some Christian traditions they didn't believe in cremation because they said, oh my goodness, if we cremate ourselves, how is God going to find us to resurrect us? How many know if he made us out of dust, he can do the resurrection? Amen. Okay, so he'll put some dust together for you again. Trust me. He can, he can handle it. He can handle it. But this kind of dust that he puts together, the Bible says, will be an immortal body. It will never die. Even today, sickness and disease is kind of a mystery to doctors. The more we figure out about the, the diseases we know about, Another one springs up, and then another one springs up, and another one springs up. And sometimes doctors, they look at the body, and they say, really, this could keep going. This, this, if it didn't have these viruses, these things that keep interfering with it, it should go on. Now imagine at the resurrection, this perfectly made body, but this time not powered by blood, because the Bible says we don't have blood in the resurrected body, we're powered by glory. <laughs> glory flowing through your veins. 
the temple of the living God. And imagine the life force of God, the glory flowing through this body, keeping it immortal. As a matter of fact, Adam and Eve did not know they were naked until the glow of their glory turned off. The Bible says the second time around, we do get robes, so be okay with that, people. But through the robes, we still have the glory shining. Where is the picture of this? The picture of this is what we call the transfiguration, even pre-resurrection, where Jesus is with them on a mountain, and the Father wants to show the disciples what they will look like, and Jesus instantly transformed in front of them, and some of the saints of old came to hang out with them. Does anybody remember that story? It's a powerful illustration of what will become. You might say, well, well Joe, why isn't the best illustration, Jesus at the resurrection. At Jesus at the resurrection is tricky Jesus. You go, what do you mean tricky Jesus? Jesus shape shifts after the resurrection. Did you know that? Jesus pretended to be a gardener. Mary and them couldn't even recognize him. Another time he appeared to them in a different form on the road to Emmaus, and these disciples were talking to Jesus and didn't even know it was Jesus. Jesus held back his glory even after his resurrection so that he could teach them the things of God without being Pokemon glowing everywhere. The resurrected Jesus that Paul saw was glowing so much he couldn't even really make out his face. John said when he saw him on the Isle of Patmos, he went right directly to his feet. That's only what he gives us a taste of, but that's what we know we'll have on the day of our resurrection that glory. And the Bible says not only will it never diminish, it will go from glory to glory to glory. So imagine the dial going higher and higher and higher and higher, and it just doesn't stop for eternity. Amen. He made you for glory. You weren't made to die and pour out blood. You weren't made to live sensually just through the senses of your body. You were made for inherent glory to come out through you and complete every part of who you are. You're a carrier of glory even now. And the Bible says you can get that party started right now if you want. And so you can have as much of the glory of God as you want. I'm glad there's some people getting happy. Can somebody say glory? Glory, glory. amen. But you got to follow Paul's way to the, the way to do it. And you know what it is? It's laying aside your plan in this and counting your plan as dead and taking on his. And there's a word in there. I don't know if you caught it. It starts with an S and it ends with an S that we don't really like a lot of. And it's called sufferings. If we're going to have the resurrection of Jesus, we need to be prepared to have the sufferings of Jesus. Doesn't mean every day is going to be a bad day. Doesn't mean we make mistakes and then blame it on the suffering of Jesus. Man, I got fired because I'm a Christian. No, you got fired because you come to work late all the time, you know. Man, you know, nobody likes me. It's because I talk about the Bible all the time. No, nobody likes you because you never have money to go out to eat and you bumming money from them all the time, you know. You know, let's not use the mistakes we have in life and call it sufferings. Let me give you a couple definitions of sufferings. Uh, sufferings are you physically having illnesses and things you can't prevent. You'll have sufferings like that. Jesus had to take our sicknesses upon him because he couldn't get sick in his glorified, uh, in, his, in his God uh, nature 
and that body, his body was perfectly maintained. Even though he was man, he was like the perfect man without any sickness. But you and I can get sick. And so we have to remember in our sickness, there's a resurrection to come. If your body's turning against you right now and there's something eating you on the inside that's cancerous, as I've watched people go through it and it's so hard to watch, they become so different in their shapes, their body as it eats away, that's not you, that's just your body. And you may go through sufferings, but let me tell you, there's a resurrection body coming. Sufferings can be emotional. Sufferings can be emotional. It can come through the way people treat you, to the mistakes that you've made and you beat yourself up over. These emotional sufferings from either broken relationships, mean people, your own meanly self to your own self, you know, you're just mean to yourself. Those sufferings will sometimes feel like there's no hope. You don't see past tomorrow. If I could share James' story that you shared with me in the lobby, do I have your permission, James? James shared with me his story, and if anyone goes through this or has, uh, is going through this or has, please talk to James. He'll encourage you. He said, I asked James, I said, James, how did you come to the church? How did you hear about us? And, you know, it was through his sister. He said, my sister was preaching to me, but it wasn't getting through. And then my life became dark for a year, and it didn't just stop dark. Like instead of glory going from light to light to light, he was going to darkness to darkness to darkness until suicide was the, the way out. Emotional suffering is real suffering, isn't it? And he said he even had to go to the hospital for it. We've had others testify in this church. But his sister kept preaching. She shared with him the gospel that brings resurrection life. A hope beyond whatever was happening in his brain and in his body and the chemicals and the doctors trying to help. We do appreciate them. But he found a hope beyond the scope of human limitation. And he is here today free from the desire of suicide. He has a beautiful girlfriend. Hallelujah. He's got a new job. And he says he's got a call into ministry now to preach the gospel. Now you might be here today and say, oh, that's too good to be true. Talk to James if you don't believe it. Today, there is hope for us. Sometimes it feels like there's no way out, but God is giving us glimmers of heaven, isn't he? We know there's hell on earth. It's not quite hell. Don't ever think this is hell. I always tell people, if you think this is hell, it gets a hell of a lot worse. It gets a hell of a lot worse. And my friends, if there can be hell on earth, can't there be heaven on earth? James is an example of heaven on earth. And what's the last thing? Suffering. Suffering is actual death. Uh, I know most of us don't like to think about it, but if we had a choice of how to die, I mean, how would you want to die? Most people would say, in my sleep or in a car accident, quick, right? Because we don't want the suffering of death. We don't want to watch our loved ones cry as they come into a room to see us. Have you ever been to somebody on their deathbed and they're still cognate? I know some of us have seen them at the last moments, but I'm talking about where they can still have a conversation. What do they do when they see us come in and they see us cry? What? Don't cry. Don't cry. I'm okay. You know what they're telling us in their bravery in those last moments? They're telling us the sufferings aren't taking away my joy. Don't let it take away your joy. Don't cry. I want to see you smile. Let me see you smile. 
smile again for me. I remember watching my aunt pass, and you couldn't get her to talk about death or her cancer. She wanted to talk about me and the kids and all that we're doing in the ministry. Why? Because the Bible says for the Christian, death has no more sting. And so for us as Christians, we shouldn't be afraid of the suffering of death because we know we're just leaving this body to go and be in the presence of the Lord to wait for our glorified body to rule and reign with him. Amen? So look at your neighbor and say, you look good now, but you're going to look a lot better at the resurrection. Look at your other neighbor and say, neighbor, you look even better than my other neighbor. But you're still going to look better at the resurrection. Amen, amen. Don't get jelly, other neighbor. We still love you. Band, could you come, please, in closing? I'm glad you came today. For those of you who know me personally and hang out with this, come to this church often, you know that I do my best to present messages on these special times of the year that kind of tie it all together. And I hope today I did a good job to tie together the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The death of Jesus is about our sins being nailed to a cross and the devil being defeated. The burial of Jesus reminds us that he's ultimately in control of the whole world and that our old man is dead and we shouldn't be having weekends at Bernie. And the resurrection means there is hope. For when I face sufferings in my physical body, in my mental life, or when I pass from this world to the next, I am excited about this season in our church, this season of what God is doing, and I want to encourage you, those who have not accepted Christ, to accept Christ and to let him start a new season. Passover for the Jewish people where Easter happens is a time of seasonal change. Isn't it so good that it's not snowing anymore? How many are glad it's a new day today? It's not last week, okay? That's supposed to remind you of resurrection. It really is. I want to encourage you, start a new season with God. Maybe you've heard this message before. Okay, it wasn't so new for you. I get it. You're the nerd of the class. You could have finished my sermon before I started. Okay, but watch. Are you living it? Get a new season. Get out of the old. A lot of the old is, is deceptive and tricky. Sometimes it's codependence. Sometimes it's bad relationships. Sometimes it's staying in bad decisions for too long. Sometimes it's jumping around and not staying. You need to hear for God, from God for yourself. What is it like for you to bud and be beautiful before God? You know what a new season looks like for a pastor that's 42 years old, has six kids, been married for a while, doing this for a while? You know what it looks like for me? Living stress-free. That's what it looks like. It's me saying to myself, God didn't give me six kids to stress out and have them watch me lose my mind. My new season is I'm going to have a stress-free family with six children. That's my new season. I'm going to be in better shape, have a better mind, and have a better devotional life with six kids, getting my doctorate by God's grace, preaching to the most people I've ever preached to than I was when I was a single man, a single man having nothing but time to pass gas, drink Mountain to do, and play Halo. 
Why? Because that's a new thing God can do in me right now. He can say, resurrection, Joe. Even though I've been around for a while, God can say, resurrection, Joe. New ways, new habits, new season. As the trees bud, your attitude is changing. And in your life today, God can do it. What's a new season for you? New, new businesses, new children coming into the world, new relationships, new roles, mother-in-law. Come on, somebody. Taking on new responsibilities, Carlos. Becoming a deacon, doing Bible studies, leading people. New season. Some of you, uh, I just talked to a young lady graduating college in May. New season, starting a career. New season. Of course, if you don't know Christ, you've got to start there. I'm not trying to bribe you with a, a perfect life here. But I'm telling us who are Christians, because always the majority of us are in this church, I'm here to tell you there's a new thing waiting for you right now. Let's not let the TV preacher who says, sow $1,000 to get the new thing, to get us out of the mindset we are actually getting new things. Let's not let religious leaders who say new thing, new thing every time they want to take up an offering or do a conference to get us out of a new thing. There are actually new things God wants to resurrect and do this year. And Easter is supposed to be that time where we say, if God could send his son to die on the cross for our sins and raise him from the dead, God can do anything. God can change my marriage. God can change my children. God can change my job. Or at least God can change my outlook on my job. God can change my outlook in traffic. Come on, somebody. How many know you can wake up tomorrow and go in through traffic singing and praising God? He can give you joy. How many young people are here and believe that God can give you hope in your school and at your classes? New seasons, new life, resurrection. Today, the only person, the only person that makes that decision of whether or not you stay dead, you stay old, you stay where you're at is you. Jesus did his part. Will you meet him at the empty tomb today and start a new life with Jesus? How many want to meet him at the empty tomb and start a new life? Come on, let's stand up. Let's give it up for Jesus. Gloria adios. Come on, somebody give it up for our Lord and Savior. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory. Amen. Let's pray in closing. Thank you for coming. Come on up here, altar workers, please. These are our friendly prayer workers up here. As we get ready to close out, you can come and receive prayer. We'll sing in closing, though, by the way, so we won't be in a hurry. But let's apply this message. Today, have your sins been canceled? If they haven't been, would you pray where you're at for your sins to be forgiven? If you need help with that, you can come forward. Someone would love to pray with you. You could bring a friend up with you as well. How about have you buried the old man? Are there any Christians here still walking around with Bernie? Is there anybody still here walking around with the old version of you? Come on up, come on up. We'll help pray for you to get out of those grave clothes and live a new life. Or is there anybody here, lastly, before we start to sing, you can start coming up now, by the way. Is there anybody here that wants to have a prayer partner? Just agree with them for something great this year something powerful, something new. Maybe you're expecting your first child. You want to pray for the health of the baby. Or maybe you're in a relationship. You want to pray with your, your girlfriend or boyfriend. Or maybe you're starting a new job, getting ready to do finals and graduate. Whatever it is, would you come up so you can meet Jesus at the empty tomb and start something new with him? The rest of us, come on, let's worship today. Thank you, bands. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. 
Christ I could never oh, take credit for this life In the coming ages all that remains is your glorious grace 